We're going to dismiss our students to their children's ministry, all our elementary students. So if you'd reach out a hand, we love to send them with a blessing. We know we don't just worship in this room, but they're about to go back, learn some more, play some more. So send them with a blessing. The Lord be with you as you worship. So say that with me. The Lord be with you as you worship. Amen. Pretty obvious question I want to start with this morning, but do you know what bitterness feels like? Yeah. Just call that to mind with me. This churning in your gut, maybe that low boil that you just sit in that causes thoughts and anguish to come up again and again and again. At least in my own life, there is an addictiveness to bitterness that you just want to linger in. Even though we don't cause often name many of our emotions after a taste, it's bitter. It's bitterness. Yet, there's something sweet about it to our souls that we just stay in that place and just ruminate and consider again and again and again and make up new things in our minds. It can be a place of bondage, but do you know what bitterness feels like? How do you get out of this kind of place? Obviously, one of the main spots, worship, but forgiveness. Forgiveness. And this is not exactly the most popular word in our culture right now. And, and for some good reasons, let me tell you a story. There's a, a woman named Diana Cortez who uh, was a nun back in 1987. And she moved to Guatemala to help teach children in poor areas how to read. And she did this for two years. When in 1989, she was captured by the Guatemalan military. They just thought she was just another person out in the highlands. And they captured her, tortured her, and raped her. Treated her horrifically. And after a while, the Guatemalan military realized that she wasn't just another Guatemalan that they could take advantage of, that she was actually an American citizen, and this was going to land them in trouble. So they quickly let her go, and they told her, you need to forgive. You, you need to forgive. You need to forget. Put this behind you. Family, friends, even the church had told her, yes, just forgive and move on. Let's not make a whole thing about this. And this is not an isolated incident. There are many people who have suffered in terrible ways who are then told, you need to forgive. You need to set this behind you, right? And so it rightly puts a bad taste in many people's mouths, especially right now in our cultural moment when there's different movements around justice. Forgiveness is not the most popular idea because to many it seems like this is a way to suppress issues. This is a way to pull a rug over the problems so that we don't address what we need to in our world. So it's not the most popular idea right now. And to be honest, even personally, I know for me and for others, this is not like, yes, I love forgiveness, right? <laughs> this doesn't come naturally to us. Nobody loves this, especially if you're sitting in real hurt and in bitterness. It sounds awful to consider even forgiving. It sounds like an injustice. It's insensitive for us to even talk about this. So why should we even forgive? Why is this important? For the next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at this word, forgiveness, why it's important, how it brings healing in our lives, how does it shape our communities. So forgiveness, we're going to be sitting here for a little while. It's massively important in our lives. Today, I want to look at this simple question, though. What is forgiveness? 
We've all heard the word, but it's incredible the number of misconceptions that the enemy sneaks into this word to create misunderstandings. So this morning, I just hope to break things down very simply for us that we could just see more clearly what is forgiveness and why is this a good thing. So where do we start? If you're gonna really learn about forgiveness, where do you go? I'd say it's actually really helpful to go back to scripture and to the Bible. But I'm, I'm not just saying this. Most secular historians would say, if you want to go back to the origins of where forgiveness came from, you have to look at the Judeo-Christian tradition and the scriptures. This is really where the idea of forgiveness comes from. Other cultures had ideas of, of pity and maybe seeing things from another person's perspective, but forgiveness as we know it today really came from Judeo-Christian thought and from scripture. And if you really want to see the greatest advocate of forgiveness ever, you need to look at Jesus. Because he's the one that most deeply taught this and ingrained it in our world today that it's even a thing out there. Jesus is really responsible for this. And as he often did to communicate an idea, because he's the best kind of teacher, he would tell a story. So I want to look at one of his stories of forgiveness, and it comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 35, so if you have a Bible, would love it if you open up there. I'm going to tell the story for us, but again, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. The story is prodded because one of Jesus' disciples named Peter, as ever, instigator Peter, he has a question. He kind of wants to show how smart he is. I love Peter. He's like, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? Should we forgive them seven times? Now, this is a high number that Peter thinks he's thrown out there. Like, this is a lot, seven times. Jesus corrects him. He says, no, you shouldn't forgive seven times, but 77 times seven. I don't know if we have any math nerds in the room that you immediately know that number. I don't, right? I have to look it up on a calculator. It's 539. I don't immediately know that answer. That's Jesus' point. It's a number that you immediately can't grasp. It's beyond you. It's a lot, meaning you can't count to it. Not 537, 538, and 539, I'm done, right? That's not Jesus' message. He's saying you're just supposed to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, This is way more than Peter and the other disciples were anticipating. And so he's like, how can this be? So this is where Jesus tells his story. He says, there was once a rich ruler, and he began to settle his accounts and to call in the debts that people owed him. And Jesus says he brought in one servant to settle his debts. And the king names what he's owed. And it says that this servant owed this ruler 10,000 talents. We don't use talents as a measurement today of money, but one talent, get this, one talent is worth about 20 years wages. One talent, basically half a lifetime of work. And this servant has somehow racked up a debt of 10,000 talents. That's lifetimes on top of lifetimes of work. It's a debt that's impossible for him to pay. And this ruler, he says, you can't pay this. I'm going to sell off your family and I'm going to throw you in prison until you can pay this back. Basically, the end of his life. And the servant cries out 
in desperation. He begins to beg, and he says, please be patient with me, and I will pay you back. And incredibly, this ruler, he has mercy on him, says he takes pity on the man, and he cancels the whole debt and lets him go. When Jesus said that, it had to be shocking to his disciples. 10,000 talents completely canceled? The man let go? That's unheard of. That level of forgiveness is difficult to even fathom. But Jesus' story is not yet done. The great shock's still coming. It says this servant that was just forgiven, this massive debt, then went out, and he ran across one of his fellow servants. And this servant owed him money. And he says that he grabbed his fellow servant and began to choke him. Isn't that what bitterness feels like? Just want to grab somebody around the neck? Begin to choke him. And he says, you owe me money. Guess how much he owed? 100 denarii. This one denarii is one day's wage. So about three months of work. Not a little, but not nearly 10,000 talents. So he's choking the man for three months' wages. And the man says the exact same thing that this other servant said to the ruler. He says, please, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But the servant doesn't have mercy. Instead, he throws him into jail until he can pay back everything that he owed. When the other servants hear this and find out what just happened, they go and tell the ruler, And when he hears this, he's so angry. And he calls in this servant. And he says, shouldn't you have treated your fellow servant with the same kind of mercy that I treated you? And so then he throws him into jail to stay in a desperate, awful situation because of his unkindness and unmercy towards his fellow servant. Jesus ends the story with this in chapter 18, verse 35. He says, This then is how my heavenly father, this is a hard statement, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. That's a hard story, isn't it? We're going to be exploring this. Yeah, amen, you can say that. We're going to be exploring this story in the coming weeks, drawing out different aspects. But today I just, again, want to briefly look at what does it tell us about what forgiveness is. So first of all, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is recognizing there is a wrong. Forgiveness is recognizing there is a wrong. One of the greatest misunderstandings around forgiveness is that it really is the same as excusing someone. We're just letting them off the hook. So this puts a bad taste in people's mouths because it's just as if they're saying, oh, it's no big deal. You just excuse someone and saying what they did wasn't wrong. But do you notice here that in this story, the king is settling his accounts and he makes the servant come in and he states the debt. He says, you owe me 10,000 talents. He's bringing out the truth of what is owed. He's bringing out the debt for the man to see clearly. He's not hiding it away. So we have to recognize that there is wrong here. He's not saying the ruler, he's not saying, oh, it's no big deal. Maybe you didn't realize that you had to pay me back all this money. Or or I know you've been really busy, and so expectations might not have been clear. It's fine. You can go your way. That's not what he's doing. He's not minimizing the debt or the wrong. He's bringing it out with truth and with clarity. 
This is massively important in our world, and I think one of the ways this has been fleshed out in history was with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa that was led by Desmond Tutu, an archbishop in the Anglican Church. It's an amazing story. Back in South Africa, during apartheid, the, the white population ruled the government there. And they had separated the black population to live in far poorer areas of the country. And even more than that, they had suppressed the black population. They had killed thousands, tortured thousands. Horrific things were done to the black population over the course of decades, monstrous apartheid. And after a while, there was a change in power in the government. The black population and Nelson Mandela, the new president, was elected and, and people expected this way, uh, wave of violence and revenge to sweep the country. They're about to get their vengeance, but instead, Nelson Mandela, he started this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. What they did is they allowed victims of apartheid to come into these large meetings. And on national television, these victims were given the opportunity to tell the truth of what had happened to them in front of a whole audience, weeping often as they described the death of a family member or torture that they had received, and they are breaking down in front of this group, bringing out the truth of how they had been hurt and offended. Incredibly, on top of this, the commission allowed perpetrators, people who had committed this violence, to also come forward and confess their crimes. And as long as they told the truth, even if they didn't feel regret, even if they didn't ask for forgiveness or apologize, they gave amnesty, forgiveness, to these perpetrators. And there's a lot of pushback even today for how this Truth and Reconciliation Commission worked, but it is pretty clear that it saved this country from a civil war. It, it brought peace in an incredibly tense time. Why? Because the truth of these wrongs we're allowed to be set out in the open and recognized. And for healing to happen, that is important. So please hear me this morning. If you are struggling to forgive someone, we are not saying you're supposed to excuse them or just forget about it and say it's not a big deal. What you are doing in forgiveness is saying this was wrong. You're not trying to make a right, a wrong right. Rather, you are saying what you did is inexcusable and horrific. And it hurt me deeply. And that's why forgiveness is needed. You hear this? So please hear me. It's not burying something. It's not excusing. You are bringing it out and saying this was wrong. Forgiveness is recognizing there is a debt, that there is a wrong. Secondly, secondly here, forgiveness means letting go of revenge. Letting go of revenge. In the story that Jesus tells, this Ruler clearly has the power to make this servant pay and to suffer. He can bring punishment, jail, torture on this man for his massive debt. He has the power to inflict revenge on him, but that's not what he does. See, instead, in verse 27, the ruler's response, he says that he took pity on the man. He canceled the debt and he let him he canceled the debt, and he let him go. From this, Jesus wants us to see that we're supposed to forgive other people from the heart. 
there's this, hear me, an internal release of revenge and vengeance on the other person that you're letting go of, that forgiveness always includes. Let me say that again. There's an internal release of your revenge and desire for vengeance that you let go of. You're saying, I'm giving this up, an internal release. Now hear me, this does not happen easily. This is not some simple thing that comes out in our hearts. You can feel incredibly hard like a stone. This would never happen in my heart. This is why, secondly, it's not an emotion that we're waiting to come up in us. If you're waiting to feel like forgiving someone, you're going to wait a really long time. You're going to be rock hard. You're going to be angry. You're going to be full of bitterness. It's actually a choice to begin with. I will forgive you. I let go of my bitterness. And it might not budge your emotions one iota. But you do not give up. And you say, I will forgive you. I will forgive you. I will forgive you. And this can go on for years. And the slow change of your heart towards them. But it is a decision of your will to let go of revenge that you might have to speak again and again and again to yourself. But it's an internal release of this revenge. This is always, hear me, always included in forgiveness. Often, however, forgiveness also includes letting go of external consequences for that person. This external punishment and consequences, you also let go of them. It's often, but not always there. This is complex, so stay with me. This is complex, but there's reasons for this. So often you let go of external consequences. For instance, Tim Keller, he's written an amazing book on forgiveness, by the way, that's informing much of this sermon series. But he has a story about, say, if someone got in a car accident, they ran into your wonderful, amazing new Honda Civic, okay, right? And they run into your car, and they mess it up. You have a decision there. You can say, no, you're going to pay me back. You're going to repair the damage that you just inflicted to me. They bear the consequences and the payment. Or you could say, I forgive you, in which case I'm not making you pay a dime. But still, your car is messed up. It's not suddenly magically fixed, is it? Somebody has to pay. Same in this situation with the ruler. As he forgives this man this 10,000 talents, the king or ruler doesn't just suddenly get the money back. He's out. Who's bearing the payment? Who's bearing the consequences for this forgiveness? It's not the servant. It's the ruler who bears the consequences. So there's an internal release of revenge, and often there's also this external release of the consequences. Very important. And hear me, this is how God treats us ultimately in Jesus. We're going to come back to this. But sometimes there isn't a release of these external consequences. I want to make this clear. Lewis Smedes, in his book on forgiveness, he tells a story about a uh, guy who owned a bakery named Joe in a very poor neighborhood. And Joe was a light in this neighborhood. He made amazing sweet rolls, and kids from all around would come to his bakery, get a sweet roll. Sometime he'd throw in a sugar-sprinkled donut on top. He was a person of influence and character and light in his neighborhood. Lewis Meets tells the story that one day, three kids came into his bakery, and they held him up at gunpoint. And they robbed Joe to clean out his cash register. And as they're about to leave, one of the kids named Sam 
for no reason, shoots Joe in the stomach. And Joe is laying there, nearly dies. Later, when he's in the hospital, the parents of this kid, Sam, they come and they're heartbroken. They're full of shame. They come before Joe. They even get their son, Sam, to come with them into the hospital. And Joe genuinely forgives Sam. He lets go of this internal revenge. He even works out a way for Sam later to come into his bakery and work so that he can make some money. However, when the prosecution begins to make their case in court against Sam, Joe testifies against him. He participates in these consequences falling on Sam, that he has to go to juvenile detention for a year. And he did this because he knew his neighborhood needed to see justice, and actually Sam needed to face these consequences. Is this forgiveness, though? Is that moment from Joe towards Sam really forgiveness if he allows these consequences to fall on him? I think so. Let me put it this way. Forgiveness is not opposed to discipline, but it always rejects retaliation. Have this up here for you. Forgiveness is not opposed to discipline, but it always rejects retaliation. It doesn't want revenge. How do you tell the difference between the two? How do you discern this? This is the importance of the rule of love that you're looking towards that other person and the community around you and saying, what's best in love for them? And Joe, it seemed, looked around at the community around him and said, what's best for my community, it seems, is for Sam to face these consequences. What's best even for Sam is that he face these consequences. It's a rule of love. What is best for others? If you're seeking out consequences because you secretly are yearning for revenge, then maybe you need to check your heart and see maybe forgiveness isn't really in me yet. I'm motivated from a wrong place or am I choosing this out of love for them? We see this even in God, says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. I have this on a slide for you. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Sometimes I want to hit the pause button on this verse. Say like, wait, I thought God forgave though. And in forgiveness, there's no consequences ever, right? No, actually, God in his kindness, because he wants us to have more of his image, he wants our good, he will discipline us for wrong actions in our lives. Doesn't mean he doesn't bring forgiveness. It means he's bringing good into our lives. Do you see this? It's where ultimately Jesus may bring discipline into our life in the here and now, yet we have confidence that in eternity he has taken every consequence on himself for those who trust in Jesus. This is our hope. Hope you have clarity in that. Show the importance of this again. Another example, Lewis Smedes tells a story of a pastor who used counseling sessions to start numerous affairs with women around him. Numerous affairs, this pastor through counseling sessions. Grew and grew and grew until there was this massive scandal with this pastor. And he was brought up on ministerial malfeasance and brought uh, before the denominational court that he served with. And as he was being tried in this court, some of his fellow colleagues and pastors, they said, you know what, I think we need to forgive this pastor for what he did. I think we should just let him go and reinstate him because isn't this the message that Jesus is teaching us? That, That we should forgive and let people continue to move forward. 
Lewis Smedes draws out that there's a difference between forgiveness and tolerance. There's a difference between forgiveness and tolerance. Tolerance says, let's keep the status quo. Let's not change anything. Even if someone's in a position of power and using that to abuse others, let's keep them there. That's tolerance, not forgiveness, and it's rightly distasteful to us. It's rightly obnoxious to us that we would not want that. But that's not forgiveness. It is not opposed to having discipline enter into someone's life for their good and for the good of the community. But it's not about retaliation. It's not about revenge. Do you see this? Again, forgiveness is not opposed to discipline, but it does reject retaliation. We see this in our hearts. Where are they? So first of all, forgiveness always, always includes this internal release of desire for revenge and sometimes also includes letting go of these external consequences. Lastly here this morning, thirdly, also forgiveness is being reconciled to that person as possible. It means being reconciled to the other person as possible. Again, we see in the story that this ruler, he cancels the debt and lets the servant go. And we're not told anything about the servant being banished from his presence. We're not told that he loses his status as a servant. It seems that he stays in his employment, which is pretty shocking, stays in relationship with the servant. Now, we've got to be careful here because this also is often abused. I do not mean that you stay reconciled with someone as in you stay in an abusive situation. That's what Jesus is not teaching here. You are reconciled as possible. So if that person is not changing and continues to do the same things, that does not mean you stay in an unhealthy situation. That's not loving towards them or what God has in mind for your life. You are reconciled as possible. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So for Diana Cortez, for her life, she's not expected to forgive the Guatemalan military and then be their neighbors for the rest of her life, right? That's not what Jesus is intending or his design for forgiveness. You are reconciled as is possible. And this is so necessary in our relationships because often it is possible and we're just resistant to it. So for instance, in marriage, right? I get the joy of being married to my wife, and I can be an impatient, angry, poor communicator often in our marriage. To be married to me, guess what? Requires forgiveness, (laughs) right? That's an easy amen from all of you. And if you're in any marriage, guess what? It requires forgiveness, doesn't it? It requires being reconciled as possible with that person. Again and again and again that you say, I know I've been hurt, but I open myself up to you again to welcome this relationship. So I'm not just going to say I forgive you <laughs> and then be cold for you for the next 48 hours, right? That's, that's not what forgiveness is in that context. I need to be reconciled. I need to open myself up to you again. Or in parenting. You've never had your children make you bitter before, right? If you're a parent, that's never, ever happened You can love your child and be bitter towards them, true? So frustrated, so angry. I love you, I love you, I love you. I just don't want to be around you right now. And so there's this place where you have to forgive your child. 
and you have to open yourself up to being restored in relationship with them again. I, I can't forgive you and then hold this over your head for a long time. I'm, I'm coming back into nearness and love and cuddles and closeness, right? That's what a parent does for their child. If you're in any relationship with another human being, it's going to require forgiveness. In these moments when you'd rather walk away and say, nope, I don't want to be a part of this anymore, but you need to recognize if I'm going to be in relationship with people, often I'm going to need to be reconciled to them and forgive from the heart. We're going to explore this far more later in a couple weeks, looking at these dynamics in relationships and in community. I'm going to invite the band back up here. Got one more thought, though, before we wrap up. So we're laying out what is forgiveness, that it's recognizing those are wrong. It also means you're letting go of revenge. It's being reconciled as is possible in a healthy way. Hope you hear that. As we sit in this, though, why? <laughs> why should I do this? Sure, I'm around other people all the time. This is the core of Jesus' message, that as he's telling his disciples this story, they're supposed to see that they and you and I, we have been forgiven an unbelievable debt. We have been forgiven a debt we could never pay. No, no matter our like church attendance, that's such a terrible thing, right? For, forget what kind of lives we could live, like what kind of way we could be the best possible person. None of that would ever be good enough in a thousand lifetimes to earn the forgiveness that we need. That's Jesus' message. It's shocking and might put us off, but he's saying, you have a debt that's unimaginably large that you could never pay, no matter how righteous or how good you live. Yet the kindness of God is that he took pity on you and canceled it completely. So you ought to forgive, seeing how God, his infinite value, has given himself for you. A price you and I could never pay. You give me lifetimes to try to be kind enough and righteous enough, I'll never get there. It's always going to be coming from these selfish, inadequate, unclean places. But this is the beauty of God that he came in his infinite worth to pay this price. I could never pay. That he took pity on me and he's taken pity on you out of his great compassion so that we could be reconciled and know him again. So Lord, you have forgiven me a debt that is far beyond whatever I could pay. So who am I to hold these much smaller debts, even if they're tremendously hurtful, even if they're tremendously hard on your life? Who am I to withhold forgiveness from others, seeing your great kindness towards me? I'm going to enter into more worship here, but I know we are pressing into some of the most sensitive areas of our lives probably bringing up memories and people that you just rather not think about. <laughs> like, great, Caleb, that's not what I wanted on Sunday morning, right? But these are the places God wants to come in order to bring healing. This is where he wants to move in us to help us grow and to be like him because this is where we're stuck in bitterness and in unhealth. So I want us to linger here this morning. But if you want prayer, say your heart is hard. You, you feel full of anger and resentment. Now, we have a prayer team here in the back that would love to pray for you. And you don't need to admit a single detail in your life. You can just say, I want prayer, and that's all they need to know. They can pray for you. But strongly encourage you, make use of them. They would love to pray for you. 
So in that, would you, again, pray with me here too, to right now? 